Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. We are in Revelation. If you are just visiting with us, we have been in a long journey. We started in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse, and we move from there into the book of Revelation. We come to chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage everybody to bring your Bibles. And uh, we're going to dive in um, into chapter 16 this morning. Uh, if you, uh, I'm not going to take time to kind of go back and, and uh, lay the outline of kind of where we're at this morning. Um, but if you are interested, you can go back. Everything's online on our webpage, the past messages and everything. Go kind of get caught up. And always feel free to engage um, me online, uh, email or whatever uh, for that. Um, I, I hope, though, remember, Revelation is the only book in the Bible that comes with this incredible promise to those who keep it, who hold it, and, uh, and who study it. And uh, I think for so many, right, is this book is, over, well, for all of us, it's overwhelming, for sure. But we kind of shy away from it, right, especially in our current day and age. It's just a little too deep water um, for many to wade into. And my encouragement, right, is the whole counsel of God is, boy, make sure that we're drinking from the whole thing. And again, this is the only one that comes with a promise, right, to those who dive in. So my encouragement is to wrestle with it and engage on these issues. Uh, Don't just kind of leave it behind, but uh, get with folks and really wrestle with the text. That's how we grow. That's how we encourage uh, each other with this. So with that, let me just pray for us. We get in. Father, thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, ask you to come fill this place. Lord, this is not an intellectual thing alone. Um, You promise your presence is with us. Uh, Lord, give us hearts, ears to hear your word this morning. I pray for an increase of hunger in your church, Lord. A hunger for you, a hunger for your word, a hunger to hear you, Lord, and to be led by you. Father, especially in this day and age, Father, I pray for your church here as well as around this nation, Lord, for an awakening, a renewal among your people, Lord, to seek you, to be together, to be your church, to encourage each other, to uh, desire and long to be together, to hear your words, worship you, Lord, and encourage each other. So we might be on mission. We might truly be that salt and light out there, um, wherever you take us, wherever we're at, Lord, for your glory. Come now, give us insight, Lord. Um, Expand our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, All right, big question. What do we deserve? If you miss everything else I say this morning, I want you to hold on to this question What do you deserve? What do you deserve? This is a bigger question than, and we'll break it apart this morning, I think, than what we think of at first. I would encourage you just to take some time, just alone in prayer, and just ask, go before God in the Spirit and just wrestle with this question. What do I deserve before God? Here's the reality, the power of that question. The reality and power of that question is how I start to process that in my soul, in my heart, in the space of my heart and soul determines in many ways whether the world is ruling my soul or whether the Lord Jesus is ruling my soul. Um, And to really get in and wrestle deeply with that. Uh, 
again, we are, we are just consumed today. The world is, again, I, just, I challenge you to think just in all the media is to just see and, and pay attention to how many times in different ways that this message comes across to you. You deserve. You deserve a break today. You deserve this. Just look at how, many, how much marketing, how much coming at you really feeds on this fleshly thing. I deserve that. I deserve. Um, that is the lie of the world. Um, the gospel, folks, um, we'll circle back around to this, but the gospel comes and says just the opposite. You know that? Just the opposite of what the world. The world says you deserve. The gospel says you deserve nothing. All of us before a holy and perfect God, because we've all run astray from God. And the only way, right, what did Jesus say? Uh, I mean, over and over again, different ways, but the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount was, blessed are the pure in heart, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, they shall, right, they shall have the kingdom of heaven, poor in spirit. In other words, coming to God, and over and over, we see uh, again and again, right, through the New Testament, especially Paul, he says, boy, if you're going to boast, don't boast in man, only boast in the Lord. Only thing we can do is boast in Him. And so as we wrestle with this, this is where the gospel really comes to bear. And even, let's just face it, for all of us who or even know Jesus, boy, this is this constant, I think this question really reveals the the intensity, right, inside our own soul of the battle we're having with the world. Uh, this is, uh, that should be 1 John um, 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2 says this, um, do not love the world um, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. It is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And folks, that's going to set a tone as we dive into Revelation 16, right? The world is passing away. The desires, right, our flesh, the desires of the, uh, of the flesh, uh, we know intimately what those things are. And if we give ourselves to those, it will put us in addiction. It will put us into great bondage that only ultimately the gospel can set us free from. We know well the desires of the eyes, right? We know know well, right, the power of the visual of seeing. And we know well the pride of life, egotism, right? We know what it is um, to the pride of life. And the pride of life, folks, is I deserve and if I had time, I'd go back. If you want to go back to Genesis 3, this is how the, if it went from the very beginning. Nothing new under the sun. The enemy comes to Adam and Eve and brings this temptation and tempts her with the apple in those three areas. Starts with the desires of the, the eyes, the desires of the flesh. And then it moved into a pride of, oh, come on, God's holding out on you. Take the apple. Come on, you can, you, you can be like God. See, you deserve. So you take the apple. Folks, there's nothing, no new deception in all the world. It just takes a different shape, a different cunning idea, right? And from that point on, anybody who comes into this world, Scripture says for all of us that we're born separated from God, we're born with the flesh desiring we deserve, selfishness. You don't have to teach your child to be selfish. It's built in. All of us is built in, right? 
all of these things. You don't have to teach anybody these things. You know that? It's just the reality of this. No one has to be taught how to have the desires of the flesh. No one has to be taught that. It's built in. It, it doesn't, it's not even a learned behavior. Now, as we move deeply into bondage, sure, that's ugly, but nobody has to be taught. We don't have to teach anybody this. It is built in every culture, every nation, every person on the face of the earth. That is built into a little baby. Those things are raging. The f- desires of the flesh, selfishness, me at the center, I deserve. And the desires of the eyes, the coveting, the desires of what we see and want, and the allurement of well, what's all around us in the pride of life. Just me at the center. Selfishness is built in. Nobody has to teach. But what the world does is feeds off that. And, um, and calls us into that to put us right into bondage. The gospel does just the opposite. Just the opposite. And so here's a little something. Um, the lust of the flesh, we call that hedonism. And it's built around this idea of I desire. I desire that. I desire that. That's just hedonism. Right? Giving ourselves to our flesh, giving ourselves to pleasure, uh, unbound from what God's word says. This is nothing new under the sun. It's been around since the Garden of Eden. Right? Every person, every culture, is there, this, doesn't, this doesn't change. These things are built into us. The lust of the eyes, materialism, or you could put consumerism in there. I need that. Our entire econ- Do you realize our entire society here in America is built upon those things? Our entire system is built on really making sure we go after all these things right here. Every bit of our system, right? Consumerism, materialism, I need that, right? To, to just, if, if we can show a flashy commercial just to kind of tweak something inside somebody, wow, I, yeah, I need that. I need to go, I need that. And then, of course, egotism is where it goes the deepest, right? Which is just, this is this inside thing built into all of us. I deserve that. I deserve that. Now, let me go a little deeper here before we jump into Revelation 16. Is that how that's being formed in our soul. Coming to Jesus, the gospel reorients this selfishness, this I desire to a place of humility, poverty of spirit that says, God, I need you. I can't do this. God, I don't deserve anything. I deserve your judgment is what the scripture says. All of us. But instead, God gives us grace. It moves from a countenance of, I deserve, I deserve. It moves us to gospel, moves us to this idea of, Lord, I, I need to receive by faith your grace, your goodness, God. And what Jesus did at the cross was he offered this, he offered the solution to these three things. The only solution, there's only one, and that's the gospel. It's the good news. That's the only thing that can solve and set us free from those three things is the gospel. And our spiritual journey of sanctification, of spiritual growth is about working that stuff out, getting the fruit of the spirit, getting the, the mind of Christ upon us and more and more freedom and power of the Holy Spirit to live and walk free from those things and to have fresh eyes, spiritual eyes, to be able to see those things when, they, when we're confronted with them in and, and a, and a changing, not just in, you know, probably a lot of us grew up maybe in a legalistic thing and it was more about just, you know, laying out the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't look at this, don't, you know, that is not spiritual formation. That is not freedom. That's not a joyful life. What it is is replacing, this is very important, replacing an evil desire with even a greater desire. That is what healthy maturity is. Is replacing an evil fleshly desire with even a greater desire, 
right, in fire for God, right? A change in my whole soul that says, I'm not just being caught up about, oh, I'm over here doing the right thing. It's not about that. God wants your affection. He wants your heart. It's, it's, it's this fire of, man, I've got, I want something more than that. I don't want to buy into that lie of materialism. I think that's going to make me happy. We always say, of course it doesn't. Hedonism, we think just pleasing my flesh is going to do anything. Of course we know it doesn't, but man, we fall right into it, right? In other words, my soul comes alive and I'm like, there's more to life than this. There is more to life than what the world is selling me 24-7 and putting our children in bondage to that. There's more and I want that. God, I want, I want you, right? And, and it's the shift of desire that right, takes over and moves me and my affection, right, towards, towards God. But let's go a little deeper in this idea. If we get into 16, and this chapter 16 of Revelation is where we see the last bold judgments in Revelation. So there's three sets of judgments. Um, the first were the seal judgments. Then we had the trumpet judgments. Then we had the bold judgments. And there's a lot of overlap. And we talked about the, the idea of, of recapitulation. Is that in prophetic language. Is that oftentimes special revelation. We get a vision. And, Paul, and uh, John gives it. Uh, or you know it's given to him. But he gives it right to the church. To us. Um, in, in, in a few different ways. And, uh, but it's all leading to the same place. And just a different way of looking at it. And each of these judgments just kind of vamps up towards the end. Greater detail and greater stuff. And the bold judgments are the final ones that bring us to the very end um, that prepare the way for the day of the Lord, for Jesus, uh, his return. And um, so as we read this, I mean, if there's anything, right, that our culture just steps back from, it's the idea of judgment, condemnation, wrath of God. Right? In other words, we even in our church in America, right, we've shied away from the fullness of the gospel of understanding. You can't really understand the joy of the good news unless you understand deeply that Jesus on that cross, he took the punishment that was justly I should have received. He covered the wrath of God for me by his blood. Never do I have to worry or fear of God's punishment over me. Jesus took it once and for all. But if I'm not covered by that, if I reject him, then all, what I'm saying is that I'm willing to go stand before God in the courtroom of God, a holy God, and take his judgment. And we'll see that's exactly what um, here in the end will look like. Well, people will reject and curse God in light of his grace, in light of what he's done, right? So this question of what do I deserve, in other words, when you're faced with like when we're, what we're getting ready to read, or when you see things in our own life, trauma in our own life, um, or you see things in the world and the idea of God's judgment comes up. And the, even just the idea of responsibility today. How about that? Or just there's consequences for our actions. Basic responsibility in, in life today that have, you know, the breaking down of authority and everything like that is when we hear this language of judgment or God's wrath, what happens inside our heart? Is there a little thing that says, oh, they don't deserve that? When you hear about God's justice upon the world, is something inside you say, wow, that's just not fair? According to who? That, that's just not right. They don't deserve that. And how many people, right, do we hear, um, and we're going to see in this chapter, right, who say things like, man, 
I, I just can't believe in God. I, if God's going to allow the, those, those Ukrainian, all that slaughter in Ukraine and war and everything, I just don't believe there can be a good God. You know what that person is doing? They're rejecting God in that statement. They're also cursing God. They're also saying, God, you're not a just God. You're not a good God. Therefore, I'm not going to believe you. Those are powerful words. And, and ultimately, those words will have to stand before God, give an account for those words. Right, for what we did. And, and what we're saying, the good news is that this gospel of grace is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. To just move to a receive His goodness in our life and that forgiveness and that freedom to walk with Him and know that we're in His hands. No one can snatch us out of His hands. Um, and that we have a future, right, with Him. And that when we look at the world and everything is going on, we cannot fear, we can trust in the sovereignty of God. He has a plan. He's working it out. And God, show me, let's, let's dive in so we can journey with him and he can give us revelation on that. So with that said, let me dive in here. I'm going to step back um, in chapter 15 a little bit. Verse 1, 15 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now folks, this, all, all the... the, the the judgments in Revelation are mainly tied back to Exodus. If you want to go back to the Exodus story of the ten plagues that God threw upon Egypt, those are all indicators that are going to happen again in God's final. This is why God said to the Israelites, remember, remember, remember. This is why the last plague, right, which was the angel of death, was Passover, the lamb. The blood, if you cover, right? The whole point of all this was that when tough things happen in the world in our lives, we're to look up. It's to cause us to seek God, not hunker down and to press into putting our hope in the things of the world. It is to, to move and shift and, and have a change of heart, right? And what happened is that either it, all those judgments hardened some of the Egyptians' hearts. Some of them, though, we know, right, bowed their knee to God. But the final one of the... Um, of the uh, judgments was the death of the firstborn. Unless you covered your doorstep, unless you covered your family with the blood of the lamb. And you know the rest of the fulfillment of scripture, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. I mean, this thing fits together so beautifully. It's a picture of the gospel. And for all of us, the question we have to ask, am I covered? Am I covered by the blood of the lamb? Do I know the Savior who's sacrificed his life for me, who's taken my just judgment, who paid, who's paid the penalty for me for all eternity? Do I know him? Right? And, and has he covered me? And so all of those plagues, folks, was God putting judgment upon the gods of Egypt. The ones, the idols, and everything else, the economy and everything else, the pride of all these things right here is that God thrust His judgment on those things in, uh, in Egypt. And Egypt was the reigning nation power in the world at the time. It was the epitome of, of what the Scripture calls Babylon, which is this picture that, is, uh, that we'll get into next week in detail, <clears throat> uh, of the world system that unites the nations against God around these things right here. Okay? And so that was a picture back in the Old Testament of what God is going to do in the very end to judge all, except it won't just be on one nation, it's going to be on all nations, the entire world. And uh, that's where we're headed to here with these final bowl judgments. Um, 
Verse 5 of chapter 15, after this I looked in the sanctuary of the tent. This is now in heaven. This is the sanctuary of God in heaven. Um, and, and folks, here's the joy. Remember, Jesus' primary purpose is to unite all things in heaven and earth together. Back to the Garden of Eden, but much better. Right? All of heaven and the new Jerusalem, everything on this earth. It's going to be like this, but renewed and beautiful and pure. And, um, and we'll get to that here in the end of, of uh, Revelation. Uh, and God's temple, His very presence with all, as we've seen in the early chart, parts of Revelation, with all the angels, with, the, with these creatures that I can't wait to see, and everything else, the elders around the throne, all these things um, will come and will be present here on the earth. And all the nations will be restored Right? And their glory will be brought to God right? and glorifying Him. Uh, we'll be busy. And men, remember, again, our stewardship here determines our stewardship in the kingdom. And we'll get into those things um, here in a couple chapters, actually. Uh, so after this, I looked in the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was open. Out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. Then I heard a loud voice coming from the temple, most likely God himself, telling the seven angels, Go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now, that's an addition. The, the sores come back from what happened in Egypt. And who knows? We could get into all kinds of speculation about what this global uh, thing was. But it's trauma. It's traumatic, right? That happens to the entire body. But it says it's to those who've taken the mark of the beast. Now, again, I encourage you to go back and listen if you, uh, we got heavily into that. But at some point, as the, uh, uh, the nations rally together against the kingdom of God, and as the Antichrist and the false prophet, there'll be this uniting of the economic system of the world, these things right here, along with this world leader who's going to look really great. It says that even the elect will be persuaded, right, or could be persuaded uh, to follow. He's going to do some amazing things, right? And he's going to unite the economic system of the world with a spiritual religion, with religion. That's where the false prophet comes in, which we'll read about here in just a minute. And he will be the one that, that helps foster the uniting of uh, religion with uh, politics and power and these things here along with religion. Um, uh, for a little fun side note, I think is, um, did anybody read this last week? Um, Putin's reading the Bible. Did anybody read that? He's, he's like quoting scripture, you know? And uh, most of the story, which you don't know, you can go back and read history, but uh, he's actually very tight with the Russian Orthodox Church, right? And so you see this blending. Every world leader wants, um, uh, wants spiritual leaders to back them. It's been this way from the beginning of time. How about our own country? How about our own country of blending spiritual power with political power? Now, I've said it before. Stay far away from Christian nationalism. It's nowhere in the Bible. There is no kingdom, no nation on earth that God will share his kingdom and glory with. Every nation on earth is evil. Every nation on earth, even America, is under this power right here. 
Most of us, though, I'm just going to generalize again, we've grown up in a situation where we have been taught actually to look through more of a political lens at things than actually a biblical lens of things. And we have to, we can honor our country, we can be great patriots, we can serve, which we should, we should be deeply involved in all those things, but we cannot mix the kingdom of the world, the nation we live in, and the kingdom of God and His plan. Okay, does that make sense? I'm going to keep hammering that point because it is so, so important. You see how confused we've gotten and off track in our own country, but again, this is nothing new. Uh, the world leader that comes in the end, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the one who unites the nations, in the end, he will do this with perfection. He will do this and look really great. Because uh, let's just face it, somebody who can unite those two things, politics and religion, they're going to be a pretty great person, aren't they? Because most people say those are two things we shouldn't talk about because we always get division, right? He's going to somehow unite those. Even Israel, the epicenter of the world is Israel, is Jerusalem. Uh, just look at history. No other nations lasted that long. No, no other nations, nation. It is back in when God separated the nations, He chose one nation to be His. It's Israel. His plan and course of what's going to happen in the end will be. Uh, it, they will be involved. Now, don't get me wrong. Israel is apostate right now. They've rejected God, and God is going to deal with them like He did in the Old Testament. He's going to deal with them ultimately in the end one day. But I think there'll be a great. I think we've seen there'll be a great renewal. Um, within Israel of turning their hearts, right? Especially as we get to the battle of Armageddon, which we will in just a couple verses here. Um, All right. Uh, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became uh, like the... Oh, let me step back. I'm sorry. So the bore the mark of the beast. Pour this out on those who took on the mark of the... What is that? Well, uh, again, just to simplify, whatever it is going to be, it's going to be something that we have to do with our bodies somehow um, to basically buy and sell, to be a part of the world system. One day, how this is going to all be connected globally is, is that we're going to be forced to take on a mark, take on something of allegiance um, that is going to be required for me to travel, for me to work and, um, and it's my allegiance to the world. And uh, only those, right, who know Jesus, who will make a stand, will say, no, I have one allegiance. It's to God. I'd about to no other king. Like Shadrach, we looked a few weeks ago at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, who were called to, to bow like everybody else in the nation to the image, the image, right, that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Um, <clears throat> and were warned. Because once that decision is made, there is no return. There is no return. In the book of Revelation. Um, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. So in other words, this is back. Same thing. In, <clears throat> in, this was an attack on the economy of Egypt. This, is, this will be an attack on the economy. The, the, the waves of channels of commerce and everything else. That will crush the things. These things that people... Um, put their trust in ultimately. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, listen to this, just are you, O holy one, who is, who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. How does that set with your soul? 
something inside kind of go, wow, God, that's just too harsh. I, 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 no. No, that's just way too harsh. I, I can't believe in a God that is going to bring about judgment like that in the end. It's just fleshing out. Who's ruling my soul? Where my trust is, and it's fleshing out this idea of, no, no. Because for me to say they don't deserve it, I'm saying, basically, I'm saying I deserve. I deserve to determine who deserves what. We, mankind, deserves to determine who deserves what. And so I can't worship and be abandoned to a sovereign God and say, Lord, you are ju- only, you, only you are just. Only you are holy. Only you are the one who's willing to determine right, who deserves what, ultimately. Right? And again, this should bring us quickly running to the cross. This should bring us running to grab onto Jesus and hold on tight. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my Lord. Thank you for paying my price. Thank you, God, for right, shedding your blood over me. Um, and it should be a wake-up call how we engage in love and pray for others. Right To go straight to the heart. This idea of just kind of waffling around and not getting to the heart of the matter. Time is of the essence. Eternity is at stake. To truly love someone is to truly get below the surface and know where their soul is. To love them at the soul heart level. Not just on the surface, right? The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire and they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. That should rock our world. It should rock our world, folks. Right? To, to think about in light of all of this, in light of extreme... In other words, what is going on here at the end of the world? It's known among everybody. This is the world and the Antichrist and our world system fighting the kingdom of God. It's not just like some geopolitical fight. There's like it's clear that of what is going on here. And in light of that, to still shake your fist at God and to curse His name rather than to bow and to receive His forgiveness is, is just the revelation that to me is, the, is the, the thing I can't even dwell on. I cannot imagine going through life willing to shake my fist at God. And to be able to shake my fist at God and say, I deserve to determine what I deserve. Um, It doesn't get any more serious than that. Or sobering than that, right? Um, And again today when people say, well, if if all those people in that tsunami, I just can't believe in a God if he's going to allow that to happen. That's cursing God. That's rejecting a holy, sovereign, just God who has everything in his hands and a a perfect plan, right? The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. This is the Antichrist. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Remember the dark, one of the plagues of Egypt, the final one was just this darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your, your face. And his kingdom, so the whole political structure was, was just thrown into chaos. And he's now coming to judge the, the rulers of that. 
and uh, was plunged in darkness, people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. Folks, just to be very, uh, I guess, um, vulnerable or, or just blunt, I don't know how to put it. The most sobering experience in my life is being with some people on their deathbed that did not release their hand to God. That were willing to go into death shaking their fist, their angry heart at God. I can't think of anything more horrifying um, than that. Um, We have a choice. We have have a choice. (laughs) This is a theological battle we get into. Um, Yeah, and it's a big choice, right? At the same time, God is sovereign, and He knows who are His. And he's in ultimate control. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I just can't even fathom the idea of being prideful in the context of God. But it's built into me. Thank God he knocked out out of me many years ago. It made me wrestle with it. But I mean, just to, just to think that, we all, we all have friends we engage with, maybe family and others that we engage with on this issue, but to, but to be able to say that, I mean, think about it, none of us had anything to do with the way you look right now. I mean, we can do little things, but no one had anything to do with your DNA. No one had any choice over your parents. Matter of fact, guess what? None of us had a choice to exist or not. Think about that. You did not have a choice to exist. That you're even here is a miracle. And it sh- those things alone should bring an incredible weight of humility upon my intellect to think, my gosh, oh, Lord, why am, how am I here? God, I, 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 is there a God up there that I need to bow before? But now we in the West are more evil, folks. We pride ourselves in all of our good. Do you realize that we are eviler than any other nations ultimately because of the amount of pride we have in our empirical science and other things to think that we can figure things out without God. Across the world today, you can travel and you can be talking about God in two seconds. It's in Aspen, Colorado, where it's hard to find anybody that's willing to talk about God. Right? That should be a radical, sobering thing. Because this is what we sell here in our community. This is what we're known around the world for. Around the world for this. Right? Man, really? Not even willing to, to bring a humility before God? When you have no clue? Ultimately no control over your life? Man. This is what this is talking about. Even, that's the level of hardness of heart that this is talking about. Even with all of that, even when there's this radical worldwide, you know, things going on, is still to just shake the fist at God. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Um... Jerusalem's the epicenter. Who are the kings of the east? We know there will be an alignment. What's happening today? Because of our sanctions, we have this growing beast of an alignment that I believe we're producing, right? Russia, Iran, Syria, right? China. Um, And uh, these will be the kings of the east. Again, we don't know if this is going to happen tomorrow. 
or if it's going to happen another thousand years from now. But as we're going to read here, we've got to be ready. We have to be looking. Jesus says he comes like a thief in the night. <clears throat> Prepares a way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's actually Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the world leader, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's the world leader who is the spiritual piece of the political alignment. Three unclean spirits like frogs, and they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Um, so we've talked about this before, but the scriptures really allude to the fact that as the time gets closer, there'll be a, a as the restrainer, First Thessalonians talks about the restrainer being lifted. In other words, there will be more and more intense spiritual activity. There will be this, for lack of terminology, this portal opening up between earth and heaven. There will be more signs, wonders, and miracles. There will be more false prophets, Jesus says. There will be more deception going on. There will be more cults. There will be more liars and false prophets out there saying, Oh, Jesus, come. He's over here. Or, Oh, we've got to follow this guy over here. Or whatever it is. And there will be the more and more even false works of signs and wonders. Radical things that are going to get people's attention. Folks, we already see this taking place right in our own uh, in America. And in Increase in um, an embrace of the supernatural um, itself. Um, so we see this obviously coming right towards towards the end. And a greater desire, like in through most of history, world leaders would want in their politics, they wanted the enchanters, they wanted the prophets, they wanted the, right, what did um, the uh, Pharaoh had his magicians that were able to duplicate some of these signs and wonders that, that uh, Moses was. Is this what we think, oh, that's, that's old time history. Oh, no, it's not. Whether you go back and study Hitler, whether you study Putin right now, is they want spiritual power to unite with their political power. And this is just the way of man and the world, and it will increase. And why do you think our politicians want to right, court the Christians or this sector of religious? We need to think about it, right? So... Um, Verse 15. This is Jesus. Now Jesus uh, sets this word right in the midst of all this. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. So this is the word to the church. He's like, come on, church. I come like a thief. Hold on. All through the book of Revelation, endure. Right? Stay strong. Don't get that mark. Right? Make a, a stance in the midst of the hostility Uh, In the persecution, know who your Savior is. Be a faithful witness. And the Greek word for witness is martyr. Be a faithful follower. And it is when God's people lay their lives down for Jesus, that is the strongest, most clear witness to a fallen world of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why he says, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Follow me. Folks, I fear that the, 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 the clarity of that has been fog, foggy in the church in America for way too long. For way too long. And um, count the cost, right? Who is your Lord and what are our eyes set on? Not this, but on Him, right? And on His coming kingdom. 
So he goes on and says, they assembled them at the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. So we'll get into this in chapter 19 of the Battle of Armageddon. But let me just say here is most uh, scholarly, uh, um, I know back if you listen to some like the Left Behind, all that stuff, you know, is the, the Valley of Megiddo. Um, most scholars now think Armageddon is, is it's primarily, when you track this through the Old Testament and the New, it's primarily closer in proximity to Jerusalem itself. The, the, the city of God, Zion itself. It's not some distant place. It is the armies of the world converging, right, on that city where the new Jerusalem will come down, where Jesus' feet will plant, right, on the Mount of Olives itself. You can read Zechariah 12 through 14 in the Old Testament to get more um, details. Folks, this thing fits together unbelievable. Unbelievable. Written thousands of years apart by, was it, 40 different authors Right, um, it, it's 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 the word of God. The question is: the church tuning into it? Are we keeping it, holding it, lo- loving it, digesting it, encouraging each other with it? Right. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, "It is done." And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. This is the end before the, Jesus returns. So great was that earthquake, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. That great city is, is the great city of Babylon. Uh, whatever that reigning nation is, the reigning um, cities, we'll get into that the next chapter, the details of that um, coming up. <clears throat> and God remembered Babylon the great. To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail. Because the plague was so severe. And again, these are bigger hailstones than hit Egypt. And also these hailstones don't just hit Egypt or one nation. They hit the entire world. And this lays the groundwork. Now Jesus is coming for this battle. And it's really not a battle because when Jesus shows up, it's done. And uh, we'll get to that in chapter 19, which is pretty awesome. And he brings his kingdom, right? And, uh, and then we get into chapter 20. We'll talk about the millennium and, and some different views of that and what's going on there. Um, but folks, just to end here, um, let's just circle back around, right? This is some heavy stuff, right? Um, and we have grown up, right, for decades now in America where we have shied away from preaching or learning or teaching this. We have sold uh, America and Christians a very pablum version of the gospel, a very feel-good, a very make-yourself-feel-good, right? And, and tell me something. If you read the gospels, was Jesus trying to make people feel good? I just ask you to find me any place in there he was trying to make them feel good. Is that how he talked to people? No, he, has, he had a greater commitment than how I feel. His commitment was to save me, to make me a child of God, and to do that, he had to rock my soul. He had, he had to wake me up. He had to, like, boom. He had to do something, right, that would make me, shock me, that would rock me, right, into to, to looking upward, to looking to him, to see my egotism, to see my, my flesh, to see my, my, the little wimpy desires I was giving myself to rather than his glorious desires for the kingdom, right? And, uh, folks, I, 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 again, back to this statement, right, of um, what do we deserve? 
It is either going to, how that sets in my soul, it's going to lead me and expose that my heart and soul is ruled by the world and worldly desires, or my heart and soul is being ruled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's any kind of wrestling with, I deserve, I deserve, is that's going to lead me to the world. I'm going to be exposed to the temptations of the world. Rather than this, this, this submission, this, this surrendering, right, of my flesh and my desires, Lord, uh, uh, with a poverty of soul to say, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, come. I receive. And remember, this is, the, this is the phenomenal news is nobody can do anything to get that. You just have to receive it by faith and then walk in that faith. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. I, I can't do enough religion. I can't do nothing. Right? It's Jesus plus nothing is salvation. If you put anything in Jesus and whatever, that's a different gospel. You know that? Jesus, he's done it. When he said on the cross, it is finished. When you receive, you receive, it is finished. And here's the good news. Is that the last chapter used those words, but here it says it is done. Same thing, it is finished. Is that when you receive Jesus, guess what? Judgment is finished. You never have to worry or fear of the judgment or wrath of God. You're covered by the Lamb. Covered by the Lamb. So let me just close with... um, Write this down first. Derek, y'all come on up. Um, I'll drop down here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, uh, and this is Paul. He was the one that said, look, if you're going to boast, church, there's only one thing to boast in. Not yourself, not your own works, in Jesus. Boast in Him. It says, God chose, this is starting in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We have nothing we can lay before God and say, God, look what I've done. Nothing. And because of him, the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? And uh, that's what we should be doing. We should be constantly boasting in the Lord what he's done. And there's so much loaded in here. The wisdom of God is like, give me eyes to see what I need to see, God. Righteousness. The robe of righteousness. None of us can be righteous outside of God's imputed righteousness upon us. We receive that freely by grace. That means you stand before God in the court and all of my past yuck and present in any future yuck and sin is covered. I'm righteous in his eyes because of Jesus has covered me sanctification that means holiness it is he who makes us holy it's he who makes us a new creation right that's the promise not our works it's only him right and redemption wow what an awesome word he's redeemed us as slaves from the world into children of god right he's redeemed us what colossians 1 says to us that he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness the world and put us into his kingdom of his son as children of God. So folks, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure that you know him, we would love to talk with you, pray with you before you leave. Please don't just kind of dismiss this. Dive in with what's in your, in your soul. Let me just pray for us. And then before we come to the table, um, let's do some boasting. Huh? Let's boast. 
And if you have something just short that encourages us, you feel like, man, you just want to get up and just boast in the Lord what Jesus has done for you. Just come and just boast. Just let's lift his name up. This should be what characterizes the body of Christ. We boast in him. We boast in the Lord. And, and folks, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm on a little tangent here, but I think so much of what we do in America is we boast in, in the product. We boast in the church. We boast in the building. We boast in the, the, the good teacher or the good worship leader or the, with the book or the, we boast in all these things. How about boast in Jesus? It's time for the church in America to set our eyes on, we, we, the person we should be talking about is Jesus. We boast in him. We lift his name, right? So, Father, we just thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, move, God. Move in our hearts, Lord. Set our eyes on you, God. Set the captives free. Lord, if anybody watching, listening, anybody here present doesn't know you, Holy Spirit, come. Open their eyes to the most glorious, awesome thing in all the world to know you, to be saved. Lord, may we be people who boast in you, God. Just even as we sing about it, even in the valley of death, we boast in you. We will praise you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com. 